Well, good morning, guys. Welcome to those that are here. Welcome to those that are joining us online uh, as we each are gathered here this morning as we try to figure out what are the next steps that God has for us as we try to journey with him through this thing called life. And we are in this series called I Don't Get It, where we're looking at some of the aspects of the Christian faith that might be a little confusing, confusing to folks. Uh, maybe you're here this morning and, and you're a new believer, or maybe you're still exploring what it means to follow after Jesus, and there are some practices, there are some beliefs, there are some phrases that Christians use at times that maybe have never been explained to you, and they just seem kind of confusing. Or maybe you're here and you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, but sometimes our, our faith gets kind of rote, it gets kind of thoughtless and just routine. And some of these spiritual truths and practices that, that God intends to have a big impact in our lives, maybe it's not having that kind of impact in your life. This morning, we're going to talk about the role that the sacraments, the, these sacred celebrations, these sacred ceremonies from God, what, they, what kind of role they're supposed to have in our lives. In the New Testament, God established two practices for all believers, baptism in communion, and depending on your, your church tradition, you may have re, uh, heard communion referred to as the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper. And, and while there may be some of you here that, that have accepted these practices as normal, have you ever asked the question why? I mean, if you were to put yourself in the shoes of a, a person who knew nothing of the Christian faith, and they walk into one of our baptism services, and they observe a baptism where somebody gets in the tub of water, they get dunked, and come back out, and everybody cheers. That's odd. It, it's, there's like the standing ovation for somebody getting a bath. Or, or, or maybe they, they walk in, and they, they see people taking communion at the end of the service, and, and they get that cracker and, and the, the small cup of juice, and without any kind of context, it looks like, well, they're just having a quick snack before the service ends. It just seems kind of random if you put yourself in the shoes of someone else. So why did God establish these vital practices in the life of the church, in the life of a believer? I believe it's because the tendency of the human heart will always drift towards being independent of God, of self-reliance and, and pride, and maybe especially so when life is comfortable, when life is going well. When you read through the Old Testament accounts, we, we see this play, being played out, this tendency of the heart to drift away from God over and over and over again with the Israelites. After God had rescued them from Egypt and he led them through the wilderness, and now Moses is standing on the other side of the Jordan River, River before they get to the promised land. And Moses pulls them aside and begins to, to paint this picture of what God has in store for them, that they will be prosperous beyond their wildest dreams. But then he gives them this warning in Deuteronomy 8. He says, for when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, and when your flocks and herds have become very large and your silver and gold have multiplied along with everything else, be careful. Do not become proud at that time and forget the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. And I would say that the human heart hasn't changed much in the thousands of years since those words were recorded. We still so easily forget God's presence in our lives. And unless you have some speed bumps in your life, unless you have some reminders of the grace of God in your life, the tendency of the human heart will be to drift away from recognizing the grace of God in our lives. And if we walk down this, this graceless path, I think we'll fall down into to one of two very dangerous ditches. 
One is this idea of works-based religion, where we feel like we are just perpetually disappointing God. And so we have to work our way back into his good graces. We have to earn his grace in our lives. If we aren't consistently reminding ourselves of the grace of God, then we feel like we have to earn something. Or the other is this self-made independence, where we act as if we are the leader of our own lives. And we are the ones who get to, to set our goals and our priorities. And, and all that really matters is succeeding in this game of life. Where we accumulate as much as we can in, in both of these paths. They're, they're exhausting. They're, they're fruitless. They are wasted efforts in a wasted life. So God in his infinite love and wisdom has given us these two practices to, to counteract the tendency of the human heart and, and to call us back and to have our lives anchored and constantly reminded of his grace in our lives. I, I would say it this way, that, that the purpose of the sacraments is to remember and to share the gospel of grace. That God gave us communion and baptism for the purpose of reminding ourselves but also sharing with others the, the, this gospel message of God's grace. God has crafted communion and baptism to, to be these powerful symbols of his love and his mercy and his grace that's found through Jesus. So we're going to spend a few minutes this morning talking about each of these practices, and then we're going to take communion together as a church. So what is it that God wants to accomplish through baptism? If you're taking notes, the first thing, the first reason for baptism is that baptism is about going public. It's about going public with our faith. Your decision to follow after Jesus is a personal decision, but it was never meant to be private. Jesus died publicly for us. And baptism is our opportunity to go public for him and to declare openly what he has done for us. It's our way of raising our hand and saying, hey, I'm on team Jesus. I know what he's done, and I'm telling everyone that I'm following after him. As we go through life, we often make it a practice to, to celebrate the, the milestones, the big milestones that we go through, like birthdays and reunions and marriages and births. And, and these milestones are meant to mark the end of one season and the beginning of another. Baptism is meant to be this milestone where we mark the end of our independent life, the, the end of our life without Jesus, and we start a new life with Jesus moving forward. I love how, how Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. It, it's us publicly, this baptism is us publicly saying, you know what, I'm not who I used to be. I have a new life. I, I have a new leader in this life, and his name is Jesus. I heard someone describe one time that, that watching a baptism is like watching a wedding ceremony where someone invites their closest friends to witness this commitment to a personal and deeply personal relationship. And baptism tells the world that we are going to follow Jesus wherever he leads us. And that's kind of the second point, the second reason for baptism is baptism is, baptism is about being obedient. Uh, after asking Jesus to save us and to lead our lives the first way that we demonstrate our willingness to obey his commands is through baptism. Uh, Jesus left very clear instructions on how a believer should mark their life. In Matthew 28, it says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus says that part of what it means to be a disciple of his, part of what it means to be a follower of his is that we get baptized. In fact, baptism was so significant to him that he, that he set an example and was baptized himself even though he was completely sinless. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 3. It says, after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. We can't honestly say that we will follow Jesus wherever he leads us. We can't honestly say that we will do anything for him if we won't do the first thing that he's asked us to do. Following Jesus, it's this lifelong journey that, that requires consistent next steps of obedience. And we take those steps of obedience because we trust and we know that whatever that next step is, that it will lead to greater faith in our lives. It will lead to, to a greater sense of adventure in our lives. So baptism is about going public and it's about being obedient. And the third thing is that baptism is this powerful reminder of the gospel. Uh, through baptism, a, a believer remembers and, and then proclaims to everyone watching how it is that Jesus saved them, namely through his death and his burial and his resurrection. And I love how Paul captures this in Romans chapter 6. He said, For we died and we were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Being lowered into the waters of baptism is this symbolism of being united with Christ and his death. And it represents the, the death of our old way of living, that we are not the same person that we were before. And then being raised from the water is a symbol of being united with Jesus in his resurrection. And it's this invitation that we now have a brand new start, where, where we can walk in this newness of life, knowing that we have God as our leader, who's going to guide our steps towards this flourishing, full life that we want to experience. Uh, that this powerful spiritual truths that, that, that the symbol of baptism represents is part of the reason why we, why we baptize by immersion here. Uh, in fact, the, the word baptize literally means to immerse or to dip or, or to dunk. And every baptism recorded in Scripture, including Jesus', describes this act of being lowered into the water and coming up out of the water. And here's the thing that I think that we also need to be reminded of. It's not only a powerful reminder to the believer of how it is that, that Jesus saved them. It's also a reminder for those of us that are watching. When we uh, see someone, when a new believer gets baptized, we aren't just cheering for the miracle of their salvation. We are also using that time to remind ourselves of our own salvation, that the same grace of God that has saved them is also the, the grace of God that saved me, that I was once dead, but now I'm alive that I was once an enemy of God, but now he looks at me and he says, this is my son. This is my daughter whom I love, who brings great joy into my life. God has given us this command and this practice of baptism to remind us all of his grace and then to also return us as believers to the joy of our salvation, to be reminded of that time when God rescued us so what is your next step? As you think about baptism, what is your next step? If you have never trusted 
in the work of Jesus to, to receive God's grace in your life, then that's your first step. And we'd love to talk with you about whatever kind of hurdles or obstacles you might have to, to receiving that. And the next step for a believer is to get baptism, is to get baptized. And then next week we're going to have kind of an orientation class to answer any questions you have about it. And then we have a baptism scheduled for the end of March. So take that next step in obedience to what God has called us to do. A very common question that we get around here is about getting rebaptized. Perhaps uh, in the past you, you asked Jesus into your life, that you, you gave your life over to him and that you were baptized, but since that time you, you've drifted away for a season. And maybe you know, you're not following God as passionately as you were at first. And so you're asking the question, well, now that I am back and I'm more passionately following after him, should I get rebaptized as a way to show that I have this renewed commitment to follow after God again? And I'd say the simple answer is no, you don't need to do that. That, that baptism is something that's done one time after salvation to, to declare your faith in Jesus that you have received his grace in your life. As we walk through this life, we, we will all mess up. We will all far, fall short even after we've asked Jesus into our lives. And what's needed in those seasons is not another baptism, but it is this idea that I need to go before God and confess some things and then commit to change. That, that's what it means to grow in our walk with Christ. And, and that's what communion actually offers us. The communion, that while baptism is this one-time act in the life of a believer, God has given us this ongoing practice of receiving communion to be this powerful reminder of his grace in our lives as we continue to walk through this life. Uh, communion actually goes back to, to that same story that we talked about. That when, when God rescued the, the Israelites out of Egypt, for 400 years they, they were enslaved. And God sends Moses to rescue them. And Moses goes to Pharaoh. You all, a lot of you know the story. He says, let my people go. And Pharaoh keeps saying no. And so God continues to send this series of plagues to try to get the attention of Pharaoh. And he keeps saying no to all of them. And the very last plague was the plague of death. And God said to Moses, Pharaoh has, has pushed me to this point. So I want you to tell the Israelites tonight to, to kill a lamb. And I want, you, I want them to, to take the blood of that lamb and paint it over their doorpost at home. Roast the lamb and eat it, but do not leave the house. Tonight, an angel of death will come through Egypt. And any house that does not have the blood of the lamb over the, the doorpost will experience death. But those that do, the, those that have the, the blood of the lamb, the angel of death will pass over it. Well, Israel wakes up to the sound of the wailing of the Egyptian people as this angel of death has, has killed many. And Pharaoh comes and tells them to get out. God takes them across the Red Sea and through the wilderness and into the promised land. And then for 1,450 years, the, the Israelites would celebrate this feast of the Passover to remember the time where God freed his people at the, at the price at the great price of the, the shedding of blood. Well, you fast forward to the last night of Jesus' earthly life, and he is with his disciples in the upper room, and they are celebrating the Passover meal. And they, they have the cup, and they have the bread. And then Jesus changes the script, the, the script that every Israelite has been repeating for 1,450 years. And Jesus says, this is about my blood, and this is about 
my body, which is about to be spilled and broken for you, I, I am the Lamb of God that will be sacrificed so, so that once and for all, death can pass over you and that you can experience eternal life and salvation through my death. Well, this is how Paul explains what communion means to the early church in, in uh, 1 Corinthians. It says, on the night that when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. So I want to give us just a few reasons why it is that God wants us to, to participate and to take part of communion on a regular basis. The first is that communion displays grace from the past. It, it displays grace from the past. Communion celebrates the beauty and the simplicity of the gospel message that Jesus was broken for us so that we could be restored by him. That the bread represents Jesus' broken body. That the cup represents the blood that was spilled on our behalf. And we take these elements to remember the price that was paid to buy me back from slavery, to buy me back from death for the redemption that God offers so that I, an imperfect, flawed, sinful person, can live eternally with a good and holy God. Communion reminds us of the grace from the past that was displayed on the cross. But it's not only meant for us to be reminded of, of God's grace in the past, it also gives grace for the present. That communion is also meant to give us the grace and forgiveness and a, a new sense of strength to face the ongoing everyday struggles that we have as we walk through this broken world. Look at what Paul says in verse 27 and 20, 28. He said, so anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. But Paul says that there is a proper way of taking communion and there is an improper way. Sometimes people will read this and they think that, that if their walk, their present walk with God, it isn't strong right now or as strong as it, it could be, that they are somehow not worthy of taking communion at this time. But that's not what Paul is saying here. Communion is not for perfect people. Communion is meant for repentant people. The, the, the proper way of, of taking communion is to use it as a time of examination, to, to, to be honest with ourselves before God and to actually invite him in to make this careful search of our hearts that, that we can pray the, the prayer of the psalmist and say, search me, O God. Know my heart. Because sometimes we don't even know our own hearts, that we can deceive ourselves. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. God, would you point out anything in me that, that offends you? And then lead me along the path of everlasting life. So we, we go before God. We are honest with ourselves. We, we invite the Spirit to do a, a searching inventory of our lives and say, God, are, are my outward actions, are, are they in line with what I say I believe? Are my outward actions in line with my inner faith? Is my life marked with a kind of gratitude and obedience to God? 
that believes that he paid the ultimate price for me? Am I loving others sacrificially? Are there feelings of resentment or, or, or bitterness towards someone that, that I need to go and restore a relationship, that I need to forgive them? Are there others in my life that, that I have hurt, that, that maybe I need to go and ask forgiveness from them? Communion gives us this opportunity to, to ensure that, that we are not letting sin linger in our lives, that, that we are keeping short accounts and we are dealing with, with sin in our lives, but before it has the opportunity to, to grow in strength and influence. And then we take those things to God in confession. And confession just literally means that we are saying the same thing about it that God does, that, that we agree with him that, that these actions are wrong and that, that they will not lead to our flourishing or to his glory. Examination and confession leads to this place where we don't receive condemnation. We, we receive God's grace. You see, where sin is confessed fully, grace is received abundantly. Where sin is confessed fully, where we are laying that bare, we are giving God the opportunity to paint over that with his grace, to give us something that we do not deserve. And we could walk away from communion knowing that we've met with God, that we've invited him into the depths of our lives, and that we've confessed, that we've released the burden of sin in our lives, and we have received his grace, and we have received his forgiveness, and we have received the restoration of our souls again. So communion reminds us of the past grace of the cross, the present grace for our growth and our renewal of our spirit. And the thirdly, communion prepares us for the grace that awaits us in the future. As believers, we live in this waiting room called life. And while we walk this earth, we, we live not only as citizens of this world, but we are also citizens of heaven. That's the dual reality that we live in. And communion is meant to shake us free from, from only thinking about the here and now, from only thinking about this present life, but to regularly turn our attention to what awaits us in eternity. I, Paul says this in verse 26. He says, for every time that you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. We talked last week about the reality of eternity, and so God knows and constantly is trying to lift our head up so that we can look to the horizon and know that there's an eternity that awaits us because he knows that if we have a proper eternal perspective that it brings clarity that it brings perspective into our earthly life communion gives us the chance to, to reframe the ups and the downs of life that, that during those seasons where we are experiencing the blessing of God or maybe earthly success of some kind, that we can enjoy those things. But we know that our identities don't need to get entangled into chasing after those things, that, they, we, that we don't need to give more weight to those in our lives because we know that it's only temporary. And as we begin to, to reframe our lives with this eternal perspective, then we can enjoy them, but they don't they don't become idols in our lives. But they also allow us communion or this eternal perspective also allows us to properly frame those times in our lives when we experience hurt or loss or sorrow. It gives us, it reminds us of the hope that we have. 
I know for me, communion over the last four years has taken an added meaning into my life. A, a lot of you know that Sarah and I lost our daughter Katie four and a half years ago. And communion has been this comforting reminder that because of Jesus' broken body, because of his shed blood, because of the grace of God, that I can look forward to a sweet reunion with my Katie one day. And I know many of your stories as well. All of us walk through this life and we experience the hurt of loss and pain. Life is hard. It, it has valleys. So I love the picture of God that's found in Psalm 56. It says, you're the God who keeps track of all my sorrows. That you have collected all my tears in your bottle. That you have recorded each one in your book. That God is not ignorant. He knows where you are. God in his infinite grace gives us this time to commune with him. To, to bring to him our sorrows and our hurt and our pain. And it's as if he kind of puts his arm around us. And he says, I know this hurts. I know there's pain. I'm sorry you're having to walk through this. But can I show you something? I want you to lift up your head. One day Jesus is coming back. And he's going to fix everything that's broken. One day every tear will be wiped away. One day every sad thing will come untrue. One day justice will, will roll down like waters. One day your pain will cease and it will be replaced with joy. And you will spend an eternity in my grace. So we're going to close out the service by taking communion together as this reminder of God's past, present, and future grace in our lives. We have some guest services folks coming down the aisle. If you didn't have a chance to grab those elements on your way in, you can raise your hand. They'll bring it to you. But I want to give us some extended time to do the, the kind of reflection, the kind of examination that, that God wants us to do when we take these elements, to reflect on his grace and to prepare our hearts to receive his grace, maybe in a fresh way this morning. Are you in need of forgiveness this morning? Then communion's for you, because this is a reminder that Jesus died to forgive all of our sins. Are you in need of deliverance from something this morning? Then communion's for you, because communion is rooted in God's redemption and his desire to lead you to a place of freedom from the, the slavery of sin or the, the slavery of bitterness or, or the, the slavery of resentments in your life? Are you in need of healing from hurt or loss? Communion's for you because it reminds us of the future that awaits us and the God that is the keeper of all of our sorrows, that he collects our tears in a bottle. So invite God into this this sacred moment. Invite his spirit to do a work in your life, in your mind, in your heart. And as he brings something up, confess it to him. 
and then make sure that you receive his love and his forgiveness and his grace into your life. The band's gonna give us some time to just sit and to hear from God. And you can take the elements whenever you're ready. You can sit there as long as you want. The band's gonna lead a song at the end and when you're ready, if you're ready, you can stand up and sing with a heart that's full of worship after having heard and received the grace of God in your lives. Let me pray for us. Lord, you tell us in Scripture that if we will remain in you, if we will remain connected to the vine, if we remain connected to this source of strength and grace in our lives, that you will bear much fruit in our lives. So God, we use this time to return to the vine, to return to, to the, the source of our lives, the source of grace that sustains us, the, the, the source of grace that, that bears the kind of fruit that you want to see in our lives and that we want to experience as well. So Spirit, we, we give you this time. You bring to mind the things that are unsettled, the things that, that we need to walk towards so we can give them to you, so we can be renewed in our strength as we receive your grace in our lives. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the resurrection that gives us this resurrection hope. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
the chasm that lay between us how high the mountain i could not climb in desperation i turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night then through the
take some of that time and we spend some time in communion like we just did, oftentimes when we spend that time in reflection, God will reveal some stuff in our, in our lives that, that we will confess and that he has already forgiven those who are in Christ Jesus. But if, there's an, if you would like some more prayer, uh, Chad, and I, and Chad and I will be up in front of the, uh, the when you stage here in just a second. And if you want to come up and for additional prayer, um, we will be here for that. Um, as well as I want to remind you that if you uh, desire to follow Jesus in baptism, don't forget to register for baptism at the Ridge next week. But that will conclude our services here. I hope you have a great week and we'll see you next week.